Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the AMA Podcast. My name is Matt Ruddick, your host as always. Thank you so much for downloading this week's episode. If you guys happen to be watchers of AMA Air and specifically watch this past week's episode, uh, you'll know exactly what you're in store for today. Uh, Tyler Dobbs, AMA's Government Affairs Director, has joined us on the show to talk a little bit about uh, the NDAA and uh, how that is going to affect model aviation, specifically in the uh, educational realm and some of the cool things that they were able to get accomplished through this bill. Uh, he's going to talk about that with us today. So, Tyler Dobbs, thank you so much for joining us here on the AMA podcast. Hey, thank you, Matt. I'm glad you had me on and look forward to today's discussion. Absolutely. So, um, let's just jump right into it. You know, we, we talked a little bit about this on AMA Air the other day. There's probably some folks listening that didn't get to see that episode. Um, so, just some some background here. Uh, the AMA, you know, they recently, you guys specifically recently worked with Congress to get some language into this national defense bill. Uh, can you discuss that a little bit and give a little background on what this bill actually is? Sure. So the NDAA or the National Defense Authorization Act essentially creates the laws and provides the funding to the Department of Defense for our military operations, our national security agencies, and everything that deals with with national security and um, the agencies and and organizations that are in charge of that. Um, This bill typically isn't thought of as, as a vehicle for any language regarding unmanned aircraft systems. Um, it could be in a sense of, of counter drone technology and some of the security related issues. Um, but in terms of operating requirements for UAS, those are typically found within the uh, FAA reauthorization, which is a, a bill that um, is worked on by the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee in the House and the Senate Commerce Committee um, in the Senate. Those two are, are the committees that typically they they hold in them subcommittees on aviation and typically are um, the groups that create the rules for UAS model aircraft um, and even full-scale aircraft. So, uh, you know, I've, I've had some of those questions pop up. Why are we in a Department of Defense bill? Um, simply because it was a vehicle for what you know, we needed at the time. We we have a great relationship with the JROTC and the Air Force and um, Civil Air Patrol and others, and uh, that gave us the the possibility and the connections we needed to be able to get a little bit of language in a in a bill that we typically don't um, find ourselves worrying about. Um, I will say that it's not unprecedented. In 2017, um, the Department of Defense bill was used to reinstate FAA registration for UAS and, and model aircraft. So um, it's not unprecedented. It, it's just not very common. Yeah, and and like you said, you know the fact that you've got some some J- uh, JROTC uh, connections in there, you know, it, it it does make sense for it to uh, kind of fall into that into that scope. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about what these uh, protections that you guys got put in place into this bill? What you know, what do they look like? What how is this going to affect our our members? Sure. So. Uh, essentially, in let me give you a little bit of back history here. Um, in 2012, 
the uh, FAA reauthorization and um, passed what was known as the Special Rule for Model Aircraft, or Section 336. And in that, it really looked to community-based organizations like AMA uh, to provide guidance and safety programming for their members, and, and that was gave everybody a path to operate for recreational purposes uh, without the threat of the FAA creating new rules and regulations on us. Um, 2014, the FAA said, okay, uh, we're going to we're going to send out a memorandum for educational use, and we're going to allow those who, um, you know, are, are teaching and, and students who are learning about model aircraft and drones and, and other UAS technology to be able to operate under recreational rules. Um, let's move ahead to 2018 with FAA reauthorization. And there was a specific section that dealt with with educational use of UAS, and that's Section 350. Um, the recreational rules are 349, and the education section followed that immediately. And in that section, it said that uh, basically ed, um, institutes of higher education, university-level education and equivalent, could use the recreational rules to operate under without going to get their Part 107 remote pilot certificate. Um, and meeting with the FAA and having some discussions, uh, we were getting the sense that they were going to interpret Section 350 to only allow university level and that they weren't going to issue that same type of memorandum for educational use uh, just simply because they felt that Congress had specifically spoken how they wanted educational UAS to be used, and that was only at institutes of higher education. So if that's what they put in the bill, then that's what they wanted, um, and they, there didn't seem to be much budge there. So we took the, the NDAA bill. Um, obviously, the, the chairman of the Armed Services Committee is Senator Inhofe. He is a huge supporter of model aviation. Um, your listeners may remember that back in 2012, he was the bill sponsor for the special rule for model aircraft. Yes. Um, and he has supported us along the way every time he can. Um, so we uh, certainly appreciate his help. We started having those early discussions with him as well as Senator Jones of Alabama, uh, the senator for the state that holds Maxwell Air Force Base. Um, they are, that Air Force Base is the uh, home to the Air Force's um, UAS program, JROTC UAS program. Um, senator Jones sponsored an amendment in the NDAA bill for us. Uh, Senator Sullivan of Alaska co-sponsored that. So we had a, a Democrat and a Republican both that were very interested in getting this pushed through. Um, I'm sure everybody out there knows that there's not a lot of bipartisan, um, <laughs> you know, groups that are working on, on legislation and amendments together. That's been a struggle lately. So we were happy that both sides found this extremely important to get this pushed through. Senator Inhofe made sure that everybody on the Armed Services Committee knew the importance of this. Um, it, it requires, since it is UAS uh, legislation, uh, and I mentioned previously that that is usually found in the the TNI or Transportation and Infrastructure Committee of the House and the the um, Commerce Committee in the Senate in the Senate. Um, that the armed services took our, our language and request and, and we had those vetted through those committees. Um, everybody was on board with it. Everybody wanted to see educational UAS operations expand as much as possible. And they felt the best way to do so 
was through the existing programs. Uh, JROTC has had a program in place forever, not only in the Air Force, but in all branches of the military. So there's good oversight there. And organizations like AMA, um, with our MAS program and our UMAS program, we, we're the same way. Um, those are in place. There's good oversight. And that's really what Congress and the FAA is looking at for UAS is um, they want to make sure that people are operating these aircraft in a way um, and under a program that's proven. And certainly AMA's um, safety code and safety program is a, is a proven one. Um, so that's why we saw this bill really look to, to organizations like AMA and the JROTC as the paths forward to be able to operate for educational use. Yeah, you know, and the point that you made about, you know, having bipartisan support for this, I think, is is really, really important. Because as you said, we don't see a lot of that really going on in Washington these days. And, uh, you know, I got to imagine they probably see things like this, uh, specifically, uh, you know, getting young people involved in in this type of, of hobby as a gateway to, you know, later a later career in the armed forces even so i i i I see this as a win-win all around for everybody absolutely and with this emerging technology that we now have um obviously model aircraft have been around forever um but with the invention of the multi-rotor drone and the capabilities there of beyond visual line of sight operations um we all know this type of technology is being used in the armed services um and so they you know today's modeler or a student that's starting out at 10 years old um, could be the, you know, the next soldier that's flying one of these to, for national security reasons or for helping our troops. So it's really, really important that this provision was put into place, um, not only for, for the operations that groups like AMA have in place to educate students with STEM or STEAM, um, but also for, for our armed services. So uh, really thankful for everybody who came together to make this happen. And I think it's also probably important to point out too, you know, without the inclusion of this amendment into this bill, um, you know, that was it, we were really going to be handcuffed. Our, you know, we do a lot of educational outreach uh, through our education department, and there there were going to be a lot of things that they weren't going to be able to continue doing without this this clarification in the bill. So I think it's it's really important uh, for folks to 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 remember that and to. Uh, really acknowledge, I think, all the hard work that your team has been able to to put in to make this happen. I'm curious, you know, what it what is it that you know really helped your guys's uh, your your team to help push this past the finish line? Because this could not have been an easy thing to get to get done. Well, you know, I I want to say it's it's never easy to get legislation in place. Um, that being said, there was an appetite for this in, in Congress and within the FAA. Obviously, uh, Congress goes to the FAA and has these discussions, and we were involved in some of those. Um, and it was, you know, pretty much across the board. Everybody wanted to see that there was a path for educational use of UAS without going and getting a Part 107 remote pilot certificate. Uh, that was the real issue that we pushed is, look, you have to be 16 years of age to go get your Part 107. There are many programs out there for youth below that thre- age threshold. Uh, and to say that one instructor, I mean, there's just, um, unfortunately, you know, the, the way our education system is, there's not a lot of teachers and instructors that can donate time for some of these extracurricular activities or they don't have the resources. There's, you know, there's $150 yeah. fee associated with getting their Part 107. Um, 
Um, and if there's only one or two instructors for 40 students, um, that's not a lot of time on the sticks for some of the operations and some of the educational curriculums that they're trying to, to do. So um, for the FAA and, and others to expect that one instructor or two instructors, whatever the school can manage to, to have volunteer, um, can take on these, these numbers of students, uh, that's unrealistic. Uh, the other issue is that everything would have to be done at that location. If, if you're 15 years old and you uh, don't have access to someone with a part 107, you're never going to be able to do this outside of that, you know, one hour period or whatever your school allows for. And this will allow for that. Um, there's no age requirement on this. Uh, if, if an instructor gives homework, so to say, and wants them to practice maneuvers or, or some sort of, you know, take off and landings, those types of things, he or she could do that in their backyard. Uh, they could do that at an AMA flying site. Um, so this gives quite a bit of flexibility and, and allows for uh, some operations that certainly weren't possible before. Well, so that's all the good news. But let's face facts. We are recording this today uh, is Friday, December the 18th. You guys will be re- uh, listening to this on this following Monday. Um, this has not yet been signed into law. Um, there, I know I've been seeing a lot of talk on the news about this p- bill in particular, uh, potentially facing a, a presidential veto. Can you talk a little bit about that? So it is. And if you asked me a few days ago, um, I probably would have, you know, or I would have said, uh, there's, there's no chance this passed with a super majority. It's veto proof. Um, lots of support behind this, but the president has threatened to veto, this bill, um, essentially over a couple items, one re- uh, dealing with the renaming of military bases uh, and the second dealing with social media liability. Um, where this is going to line up, I, I honestly don't know. Um, you know, that's you may see Democrats and Republicans kind of fall in line as we have in the past. The president has until December 23rd to veto this. Rumors are that he will wait till closer to that date, if not on that date, to to veto this bill, which means that the Senate and the House are going to have to come back for a vote to to override that veto. Um, That vote would likely take place between Christmas and New Year's um, or right after New Year's, which kind of, you know, the the later it gets after after New Year's, the closer it gets to the new Congress coming in. So um, there's a time crunch here. Uh, There's a lot of things at play. Um, You know, where this is going to land, we just really aren't sure. Uh, I'll say that I'm certainly hopeful and, um, you know, in insight and intel kind of give us the or suggest that there's a better chance that this passes and gets, if a veto happens, it gets overridden than not. Um, but as with everything that's going on right now in, in the political arena, um, there is just nothing that's for sure. How very 2020. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for exactly. To, it's a go this route. Well, um, certainly, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's, you know, the, to- the topic of that bill in particular is probably going to be on the news quite a bit. So folks will surely be able to be, uh, keep up with all of that but of course we'll also keep sure. you up to date uh, as those events occur 
And if it wouldn't, I guess I'll add, if it would be vetoed and that veto uh, is sustained or or remains in place, um, as I previously mentioned, there's a lot of appetite for this uh, provision to be included. So uh, we'll start again with the new Congress and, um, you know, the NDAA will be, um, you know, it will be looked to pass again and and certainly hope that we'll be able to get a sponsor and co-sponsor and get this um, this provision added again if a new NDAA bill would be worked on, obviously, next year. Um, and we think that we would be able to get that. As I mentioned, uh, there everybody was on board with this provision. Everybody wanted to see it happen. Yeah, and, and they'll, they'll have to be an NDAA passed at some point in the near future. At some point, that's correct. Yeah, I think I, I read somewhere, I think it's passed the last 59 years uh, in a row. So um, certainly if it's vetoed, we do expect that, that the following year we would see it passed again. Definitely. Well, let's look ahead to the future a little bit, you know, beyond the NDAA. Um, you know, we've you guys have kind of set this precedent a little bit uh, to your credit that you've been able to include this favorable legislation. Um, do we see this happening again in the future for, for other aspects of air modeling? Well, we certainly hope so. Um, you know, we ob- we obviously always try to get legislation in wherever we can. Um we don't want things to remain status quo. We want to earn some of our protections and, and some of the things that we've done in the past back. Um, obviously, the, the passing of FAA reauthorization in 2018 saw some uh, statutory requirements that we certainly weren't happy with, and we want to scale those back if at all possible. Um, the issue really is, is the vehicle, the legislative vehicle. Um, you know, we can't just go out and, and say we want to, to write protections for model aircraft and attach that to just any bill that's out there being sponsored. Um you know, in this scenario, I mentioned the Armed Services Committee included this for us, uh, but they still go to the FAA, uh, the groups that, that deal with FAA reauthorization, the TNI Committee and the Commerce Committee, and have their buy-in and essentially have them sign off. So any large changes to, to our operating requirements uh, really is going to be included in FAA reauthorization. Um, that comes back up in 2023. Uh, that was a five-year bill. So we have three years before we see FA reauthorization. Um, but small changes like what we see with this educational uh, provision and protection, we can certainly add to, to a bill in NDAA or, or something like that. So we take advantage of every opportunity we can. Uh, as I mentioned before, getting legislation in a bill is certainly not easy. And even when you do, you may see a veto. Um, you, you may see something that throws a wrench into things and you have to start all over. So uh, we continue working, like I said, every day, uh, looking for every avenue that we can to, to get some of those protections in place and, and keep in place uh, the protections that we have. Very good. Well, Tyler, I want to thank you so much for coming on to talk about the efforts that you guys have put forth uh, through the for the NDAA and, and educational aspects of, of the hobby. Uh, we really you guys do such great work. It's, it's hard to talk about everything that you guys do. Um, but it's important that we get some of that information out to folks. And I want everybody to, to keep in mind, you know, as, as these types of, this type of information comes down, we're going to be sharing this with you here on the podcast as well as all of our communications channels. Um, Tyler, I'm sure we'll be talking again, probably in the near future. I'm sure some other things are going to be coming, uh, down the, down the road here. 
Probably so. You know, we're keeping a close eye on remote ID and, and the advisory circular 9157C. Uh, obviously, I think everybody out there knows what remote ID is is about and AC 9157C. Uh, that will bring forth the knowledge and safety test that's going to soon be a requirement and the CBO recognition to allow organizations like AMA to be officially recognized as a CBO. Um, this is another example, uh, you know, people say, well, what does CBO recognition even matter? Well, this provision, um, that gives you a path for educational use. So that is important. It does give uh, users some opportunities uh, with that, C- you know, operating within a CBO. So the, that's really good news. Um, and we expect those soon. So, um, you know, we're hearing 2020 by the end of 2020. I'm not sure if they'll make that, but we're moving ahead like we're going to see it soon. There's a lot of rumors flying around. Most of those is that we're going to see it very soon. Um, I urge everybody to continue monitoring all of our media outlets for the the newest updates on that. Um, obviously, if if we're not happy with the remote ID final rule, then we will take the appropriate action at that point. Um, but we need to see it first. We need to, to read it and interpret it before we can make that determination. Absolutely. And you guys uh, definitely keep an eye out at modelaircraft.org slash gov. Uh, where you guys can, we've got they've got a blog up there with uh, up to date information that's being updated regularly. And again, uh, as as we've mentioned, you know, pay attention to all of our AMA communications channels because that's we're going to be sharing all that information with you as we get it. And uh, it's it's going to be an interesting uh, interesting few weeks, I think. But uh, stick with us, and we'll bring you all the information we can. Uh, Tyler, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate all the hard work you guys are putting in. Uh, we appreciate that, and we appreciate the support um, from all of our members. That's obviously the reason we do this, and uh, thankful for all of them. Happy holidays to everybody, and um, probably talk in 2021. Absolutely, and I want to thank all of you guys for listening this week to the AMA podcast. Uh, if you've not yet subscribed, we'd love it if you do so. We're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast, we're there. And, of course, you can listen right from your browser at modelaircraft.org slash podcast. We release brand new episodes almost every single Monday, so be sure to be on the lookout. And next week, we're going to have Chad Boudreau, our executive director, on to give us a little year-end review. Uh, so be sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on that. And if you listen through Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you leave a comment there and rate us. That'll uh, help us move up and possibly be featured on one of their main pages and help us spread the word about model aviation to as many folks as possible. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for us, drop us an email at podcast at modelaircraft.org. Those come right into my email inbox. I love getting those, so keep those coming. And of course, if you're not already a member of the AMA, head over to modelaircraft.org. See what the AMA can do for you. We'd love to see you out at one of our flying fields very, very soon. And hey, if you're already a member, thank you so much for your support. And with that, for everybody here at the AMA, thanks for listening. We hope you'll be right here next week on the AMA Podcast.